Well, hello, everyone. We are winding up with our study of Acts. We're in Acts 27 today. It is a wonderful lesson. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this book, this book that Luke wrote, that your spirit inspired so that we could learn from it. And Father, we pray that our hearts are opened so that our spiritual eyes and ears hear all that we need to hear. Father, we give you glory and praise for who you are and how much you love us. And we thank you again for the cross, for the cross. Jesus came me near that cross. Father, we know that our hearts are right when we stay near the cross of our Savior. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, pick up your Bibles. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. I pray you know that. 100% as we go into it today. We had a sad story last week, didn't we? I really thought that chapter 26 was a very sad story because it showed the choices that we can make and how when we make the wrong choice when it comes to salvation, the, the damage will be eternal. And so this story was, was so sad because... You know, you listen to Festus scream out, pretty much shout out that Paul was crazy, that Paul was insane. And, you know, you can see why people don't understand. I mean, I, I, I sometimes want to just hug people and say, why don't you want this? But they, when they choose to not want it, then you can understand why they don't get you and why they they don't they do, they don't understand that this is so important and that it's it's for all eternity and i found a verse that paul himself wrote because i'm sure what he what we're thinking he was certainly thinking when they all got up and when king agrippa said to Paul, did you think in a short time you could persuade me? You know, you almost convinced me, but, you know, almost is not enough. And, and they all, everybody in that room, they all got up and they walked out of the door saying no to the gospel that Paul was so intensely trying to communicate to them. And then when he looked right at King Agrippa, when he looked straight in his face, and said, so you know, this, we, I know you know this. You know, you can almost hear him say, don't wait. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. That's why scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And how must have broke his heart when they all got up. And, and even though they said, well, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we would have set him free. And, and they change the subject, and as soon as you change the subject, you are off in a in another direction. And unless some miracle happened, and we don't see it in Scripture, they that a whole group of people made the choice, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. I mean, that's how critical this is. So. You know, as we move into this lesson today, this had to have been on his mind because when he wrote to the people of Corinth, he said to them in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness 
See, the message of the cross, if they don't really experience it, it's going to appear foolish. You know, like Festus, you're crazy, you're, you're insane. This is ridiculous. That's the attitude they have. But then Paul goes on in that verse and talks about you and I. To those who, to those of us who are being, who, who are saved, those who have been saved by the message of this gospel, it is the power of God. I mean, when you, when you think about how lost we are without a Savior and how that action on the cross absolutely changed everything. And all we need to do is accept it with our whole heart. And so, you know, that's why he said to those who aren't willing to accept it, they're going to look at this message as totally foolish. In fact, he even said they're perishing. They don't know it, but they are. They're eternally perishing. But to, to us to have accepted it, to have humbly come to the cross and repented, it is nothing short of the power of God that could make that kind of transformation in our lives. So I just kind of was putting myself in Paul's shoes, you know, that had to have been very hurtful. I mean, it's like Jesus, when people would reject his message. That's why he prayed um, so intently. And that's why he, he wept when people wouldn't respond. And it, it just breaks his heart because he knows the, the consequences. Well, now we have Paul heading to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. And just a reminder that maybe to those who think that Paul made a mistake by appealing to Caesar, we know that he did not. He was following the Holy Spirit's leading. And even though he knew he wouldn't have the freedom like he had before, that these years that he was imprisoned, he was going to have opportunities that he would have never had otherwise. You know, I think that that's such a lesson that you, that you and I have to consider. When our life takes a different direction, when life happens in a way that we're not, well, we didn't order this, and it happened anyway. And we, we wonder, you know, how could this be? Why did this happen? And but how the Lord knows how he can use us. He can use us more. If we're willing to look, that's why Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in because I'm seeing that the Lord can use me in that state. So now he is heading on to Rome and, and he is not at all consumed that he made a mistake. He knows he's in the center of God's will. So we go into the first verse. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. So Luke is telling us the details about now that they're heading on to Rome. Then Luke is a part of the team, and, and they are moving out, and they meet this centurion. Now he's, you know, in charge of 100 men, and, I mean, he's a part of the imperial regiment. He's, you know, definitely, you know, part of the Roman military and has got quite a position. And yet he sees something in Paul 
He does. He sees something in Paul. Now, is it his physique? Is it his youth? No. You know, we know that Paul, is a, his body is broken. And we know that he's probably a little hunched over. His body bears the scars. We've talked about that. And he's older. I'm sure his face is weathered and worn. But this is one of the reasons why Festus thought that Paul was crazy. Because Paul had, had this... Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit coming out of him. He had this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control coming out of him, even though he is a prisoner. When no one in their right mind wants to be a prisoner, and yet despite all what Paul was going through, he still had this joy coming out of him. And it was noticeable. And it was noticeable by Julius. So Luke was on and said, we boarded from Adrianthium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So we just know for whatever reason that Aristarchus now is a part of the team with Luke the next day we landed in Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. See, Julius doesn't even understand. He's probably even saying, why, why do I like this guy so much? Why am I willing to let him go to his friend's house? You know, he just had a he probably had a compassionate heart, but there was something about Paul, and he could see that Paul needed some, some care. He needed some TLC, and so he allowed it to happen. And from there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. You know, I, I am not a sailor, and I am not particularly fond of sailing because I had a bad experience when I was a little kid. I got on a sailboat with a couple of friends, and it was a small sailboat, and somehow that crazy thing tipped, and it scared me. And I, I to this day, do not like to go sailing. So... When I was reading this lesson, my mind went back to that experience, but I, I also learned from kind of researching this a little bit, how this goes, um, they were so dependent on the wind. And that word lee, it said, for there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus. Lee means going with the wind. It, because apparently they were heading in against the wind. It, it said that, and we passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And so they kind of maneuvered the boat so that they could go with the wind. So um, it is very difficult, as we're going to see later. It is just almost impossible to go against the wind in a sailboat. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and, and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. 
Now, all these details, do we need to know them all? I mean, are you, gonna, you and I are going to remember all these details? Probably not. But in the first eight verses, I think Luke really wants us to see that, you know, there's a lot going on here. I mean, they're dependent on the wind. You know, they got to maneuver the ship. And, and now they're getting off one ship and onto another ship. So there's a lot going on here. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salome. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fairhavens near the town of Lycia. Now, the word Fairhaven, that's a, a small little town, and the meaning of the word Fairhaven means a place of solution and comfort. So that's a, that's a sweet meaning to this small little town. However, it is not the kind of town that you really want to stay in because it is vulnerable to winter winds and storms. And I'm sure those sailors knew that. And, and also, it's such a small little town that if they were going to winter there, it was going to be kind of boring because there was nothing to do there. So as I, did, I think it's important you know that because here in verse 9, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Luke is telling us these details because it was not smooth sailing and much time had gone in all of the wind problems and changing ships and, and then they're docked at this fair haven. But much time had been lost and, and in fact the fast, it says, become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. That is in the Jewish calendar in the in the Jewish um, holidays, it, it's called the Day of Atonement. And, it, and, and so I found that it is a, a, a holiday, it's something that they, that they experience every September. And so you can tell, you can, it just makes sense that, that they're getting into fall and then into winter, and they know that that's dangerous time to be sailing. So, Paul warned them. Now, we know that we would listen to Paul because we know how connected he was to God and how much he listened to the Holy Spirit. So, if Paul would have said something, I think you and I would have listened. But here, you've got these professional sailors and the pilot and the owner and the centurion. You know, they're saying, you know, we don't really want to stop here. We want to get going. We want to make further headway. But Paul, he knows. And so, because he knows through God's spirit, he feels it's his responsibility to tell them so he says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. 
Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and, and northwest. Now, I can't help at this point to think about a word that just rubs human nature the wrong way, and that word is weight. Weight is not a word that comes easy for us. We want things now. We want the satisfaction, the fulfillment of the experience now. We don't want to wait. And yet, the Lord told Isaiah, the, the Lord told Isaiah that they that wait, yeah, I think he said to Isaiah, write this down because human nature doesn't like to wait. They don't like to wait time-wise, and they don't like to wait on me. They want to do it themselves. So he had Isaiah write, they that wait on the Lord find that their strength is renewed. They can mount up with wings as eagles. They can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. But it goes against our natural human grain. We want it now, and we want to do it our way. And how often, because we jump the gun, how much do we miss? How many blessings... How many mistakes have we made? How many blessings have we forfeited? Because we didn't want to wait, and then there's consequences to not being obedient and handling the situation and wanting control of it ourselves. Well, verse 13, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought... <laughs> I underlined those two words because, and then I wrote in my margin, dangerous. They thought, you know, you don't read anything that, well, they, they sought advice. They wanted maybe Paul to expound on where he got his information. I mean, they just decided this is what we're going to do, and so that's the way it's going to be. And that's just a reminder of, uh, to us there shouldn't be a decision that we make without asking the Lord. There shouldn't be anything in life that we think we can control. Everything should be submitted, surrendered to the Lord, and we should be in his word, and through the power of his spirit in us will then help us with decisions and direction. At first, of course, a gentle south wind, they thought, oh, see, we made the right decision. See, we're pretty smart at this. See, we don't need anybody else's advice. I'm sure they were feeling pretty cocky. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, probably just as smug and smart as could be. Verse 14, I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here today, the Lord will see to it. I mean, here we see before very long. When we think we can manage our life on our own strength and power and our own self-will, we are going to run amok. And sure enough, before long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster. 
Now, the obvious, what a northeaster is, is that wind that's coming from the north and the east. But these sailors know that this northeaster, when they could label it, when Luke could really identify and say, this was a northeaster, they knew that a northeaster was going to be more violent than most storms and last long. See, they know that, and that's why it was called that. That's why Luke put it right in there. It's a northeaster, and so it is not just a storm. It's of hurricane force. It's a northeaster, and it swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. So strong, they didn't even have the strength so they just had to probably put the oars in the boat and just go with the flow, go with the ship. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, see, there was probably just a little bit of time there where they were in, in with the wind instead of going against it. So they, during that little bit of time that they were with the wind, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So it was still not an easy couple of minutes or whatever, but it still was, was a little less so they could try because this is what, when they were facing a storm, this is what sailors would do. They would, they would make a lifeboat secure and also, when the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So in that brief span of time, they did what good sailors did in storms, and that was to secure the lifeboat and to wrap the bottom of the ship with ropes so that it wouldn't break apart. Fearing, fearing that word right away, that, that sticks a red flag up for me because you knew this was not going to be good because the word fear. Now, there are two kinds of fear. When we hear that we are to fear the Lord, that means find our place. He's God, we're not. We fear him. We're in awe of him. We never want to take his place. I mean, he, we fear him. However, the fear that you and I know so well is the fear that the Bible said that there's 365 fear nots in the Bible. And that means that we need to hear that instruction every day because a human fear, a human fear is it, it overtakes you because you are either threatened, um, you, know, you, you know your life's in danger, or you know that there's going to be a lot of pain, or, or you know there's a big danger going to happen. Now, when you put it that way, you think, well, then what am, what am I supposed to do? I mean, obviously, if my life's threatened, if, if I'm heading into a lot of pain, if, if I'm heading into a dangerous situation, of course I'm going to fear. And yet the Bible tells us every day to not fear. Fear can be an emotion that not only causes damage because your eyes come off the Lord, and they come on to the problem, and then there again, self takes over. And then that fear can debilitate you. I mean, you that's all you can see. That's all, it just possesses you. 
It just takes over, and your trust in God and what is promised gets shot out of the window. So you could tell that when you see the word fearing, fearing, you could tell that is what is controlling them. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sarchus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo aboard, overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. <laughs> this is getting serious. Cargo's going over, tackle's going over. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. In other words, they couldn't see any light. It must have been blacker and black. Night after night after night, day after day. The storm continued raging. We finally, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It sounds like everybody on that ship did, except Paul. Because his ears were still tuned in to what God had told him was going to happen in his life. But Luke is writing this, and he is as honest as can be. And he said, I mean, this is going on day after day, night after night, and it just looks hopeless. And that's what it says. We, we finally just gave up all hope that we were going to go down. After the men had gone a long time without food, <laughs> that doesn't surprise you and me, does it? That they went without food. When you think about the waves that were just, you know, tossing them all about. I'm sure food was not something they were anxious to partake of. But So they went a long time without food. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Does that sound like a little smart aleck, Paul? You know, saying, I told you so. You should have listened. No, not for a second. Maybe sometimes when we tell somebody, I told you so, we're, we're a little smug about it. But, but Paul here, he is telling them that because he's trying to say, listen to me. I've got a connection. I know. I know what we've got to do. So I think by him saying, you should have listened to me because look at the proof right now. Because he goes on. After he says, you should have listened to me. Because I think in all reality, they're admitting he was right. So Paul, verse 22, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. You know, with, with just in verse 20, they had finally given up all hope that they were going to be saved. This had to have been outstanding. Standing news when Paul said that he was told, he was told that, in fact, he said last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, that is the best line. I mean, it was good news for these guys to hear when Paul said, we're not going to be, we're not 
we're not going to die. No one's going to die. The ship's going to be destroyed, but we're not going to die. But then he explains how he knows that. He explains that an angel of God, and then he, in, he inserts, and I'm so glad that Luke, when he heard Paul talking, jotted this down so that we could have these words. Paul so boldly says, the God who I belong to and the God who I serve. Boy, he didn't, he did not want them to think that any of this came from his, his brain, but that he was being fed the truth from God himself. The God that he belonged to, that he surrendered to, and the God that he has committed his life to serve for. He said, do not be afraid. He said, that angel told me, do not, be afraid. do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. I couldn't help but smile because I think Paul, in these words, I mean, as the angel had told Paul, he's telling these men, but he's basically saying to these men, you better be glad I'm on this boat. You know, because, because God has a plan for me. He has graciously given you all your lives as well. So keep up your courage. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. I have faith in God. That's another, you know, that's why you got to keep going through Scripture. That's why I say read it every day. Read that chapter every day because, you know, I missed this for a couple of days. And then one day it came off the page when, when he says, I have faith in God. I mean, he's, all, you know, he's also said, I belong to God. I serve God. Now he says, I have faith in God. In other words, I know that what he says is absolutely true. The King James says, he, he, he says, I believe, not I believe in God. He says, I believe God. And that caused me to think about that passage in James where James says, even the demons believe. And I know I keep repeating, but this is what we learned in Acts. Remember that one man that when Peter was preaching, it said he believed and was baptized. And yet, he came to Peter and said, can I buy some of that? And he, when, when the Holy Spirit was doing such, you know, miraculous things through the apostles and, and through the people who were being saved, and he said, uh, I would like to buy some of that. Well, Peter knew that he was just as phony as a $3 bill. Why? Because there's a difference in whether you just believe in your head and you follow through with, with you know, your emotions or you follow through with doing good things. And, but there's such a difference in believe with your heart because that's when it changes you. 
how can you test yourself whether you just believe in your head and you're just learning more, more statistics and more things? Or are you letting these words penetrate to your heart and you find that, that God's word isn't just to learn more facts, but that it is to change your heart and then eventually change your life? So when Paul makes that statement, I have faith in God. I know God. And he is good on his word. I mean, he is making such a bold, wonderful statement and convincing. He believes he, Paul, there's no question, is there, that he is sold out 100%? And that struck me. I thought, you know, sometimes we we want to think we're sold out to God, but, you know, we still kind of want to play both sides. I still want to kind of control my life. I still want to say about it. I found that when I tried to play both sides, it's just because I didn't know him good enough. And now that I'm getting to know him better, I'm finding out that he can have it all. And I think Paul, he's so sold out 100% that he knows when God says something, he means it. And we can count on him. So instead, when we go to the word and we read a promise that he says, yeah, but, yeah, but, claim it. Now, the next words, though, this is what kind of helped me to understand. I can I can claim God's promises. But, you know, after he says, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me, the next word is nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You can be, you can be so sure of your salvation. I am so sure of my salvation But nevertheless, that doesn't give us an automatic pass to an easy life. And when we're sold out to the Lord 100%, we have have surrendered our life to him. We are now giving him full reign to use us however he chooses. Because it isn't about us anymore. It's about him. And there's the difference. Paul is saying, I am so sure that we're going to be saved. Nevertheless, we're going to experience a shipwreck. This is part of life. This is part of how the Lord grows us. Tests and trials, if we never had them, you know as sure as can be that we would get complacent, we would think we could handle it, we would let the self take over, we would think we were very self-sufficient. The Lord knows just how hot to get the fire sometime so that it can keep molding us so that we can be sold out to him, that we do surrender our life and let him use us and be content in whatever circumstance. Can you say, I believe. I have faith in God. It might not turn out the way I think, but I have faith in God that he has got the big picture. He has got the reasons. 
I believe in my heart and I'm watching myself change from that old nature to a whole new person in Christ. Verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Can you imagine being in a storm like that for two weeks? When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings, they took measurements, and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took measurements again and found it was 90 feet deep. You know, even after Paul, look at verse 29, even after Paul said, you can trust me, you can, you can believe, because I believe what God said is going to happen. You can just tell human nature fights that kind of surrender. Why? Because we want control. We just think that when we surrender to the Lord, that, you know, oh, man, I need to keep my mitts in there. Because here again, you see that word, fearing, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks. There's your example right there. When you're not totally, 100% sold out to God's word, if you aren't willing to step aside and let the Lord have your way, have, have his way in your life, then, then you try to play both sides. And it doesn't work. And then you watch all those human emotions start overtaking you. And sure enough, they were not convinced and they were fearing again and they were so afraid they were going to be dashed against the rocks and they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. <laughs> when, you see, when you read they prayed for daylight, I don't think that they were in a, in a mindset that they were... Well, they were probably begging, yes. How often don't we beg, you know, instead of saying, your will be done, Lord, I put my life in your hands. I know you know it's best in this situation. We're praying to him, say, I want this, I want this, I want. And this is what they were doing. I want, I want. In an attempt to escape from the ship, if this doesn't show that they, these sailors were, were not convinced because, I mean, they heard Paul, they wanted to believe, they, I think down deep, they really did know Paul was making sense, but the reality of it all, I kind of saved my own skin. I really don't care about the prisoners or the pilot or, or the owner of this ship. Um, well, I'm going to sneak. We're going to sneak down and get into that lifeboat. Sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending pretending they were going to lower to some anchor. They were going to lower some anchors from the bow. So they knew they were being deceived. Well, they were sneaking away, but they were saving their own skin because they didn't quite believe it. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. It doesn't work halfway. Well, they, they listened. So the soldiers cut the ropes that led the lifeboat and let it fall away. Now they don't even have a lifeboat. Boy, they're being tested. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Now one of you will lose a single hair from his head. 
Wow. In other words, not only are you not going to die, you're not even going to lose a hair on your head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Bravo, Paul. He could care less what people think. Don't you want to get there? I want to get there that I just do what I know is right and that I'm obedient to God's word and I don't really care what people think. What a visual for these men who were teetering back and forth, literally and spiritually. But Paul said, I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to give thanks to God. And then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Boy, that had been a test, too. They're just, now they're going to throw all the food. So, you know, all the... Cargo is off, all the, you know, all the tackle is off, and now all the grain, all the food is off. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But, verse 41, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move and the stern was broken in, into pieces by the pounding of the surf. wonder what they're thinking now. They were still trying to maneuver that ship, and yet they had no control over it, and the ship struck, and it was destroyed. It broke into pieces. I wonder what they're thinking. It's just what Paul said was going to happen. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. I mean, we know the Roman rule about that. We know the guards at Jesus' tomb. We, we know the um, Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. We, we know that Rome is very serious about their guards, and they are responsible for those prisoners, and if they can't keep it in check, then their lives are given. <laughs> they're, they're, they're killed. And they know, they know the terms. So the soldiers just planned on killing the prisoners because now, I mean, everybody's trying to grab a little piece of wood or whatever. You know, they're close enough to land or that maybe some of the strongest could really swim. And they know these prisoners are going to escape. And so let's kill them so that then we at least can say, we didn't let them escape. Now it's all about themselves. But look, verse 43, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. Isn't that something? He had developed something with this man. So he wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out that plan. So again, I say, those prisoners can be very glad Paul is on this ship. 
He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Can't help but underline everyone. Just exactly as you go through this chapter again, you just watch what God said. All will be saved. No one will die. And so when you get to the end of 27, when you're reading that last verse, well, let's just say it again. God does what he says. And He, we can count on his promises. Everyone reached land in safety. But the nevertheless, nevertheless, this ship is battered. There's a lot of hurt going on here. And I, I don't know, all of a sudden this lesson became so personal to me. And so I called up, I made four calls. I made four calls. And everyone answered back. And, and I wanted to just ask them a question. They were four people that love the Lord so much. And they are so sure of their salvation. They are saved. And they believe that promise that if they, that they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Lord, they will be saved. They've been to the cross. They are sure. However, in the last year, this, in the last, you know, I, I, these people came to my mind because they have experienced what it feels like to be shipwrecked. That their ship is battered. I called my friend Grace. She's just lost her husband recently. And I said, Grace, I just need to ask you this question you're in the middle of trying to steer through a new normal. You're trying to you're trying to reinvent a whole new direction. Grace, how do you face the day? How do you get through the day? And then tomorrow, how do you face another day? And she was very honest. She says, I am going to tell you that it is hard. But she said, a year ago, she said, when my husband started to become ill, I surrendered him. I gave him over to the Lord and said, I know you know that I want to keep him, but I am surrendering him to you. And she said, so when he passed away, I had had a year, and that helped me so much because I knew that God's timing was at work, and his timing is perfect, and that I need to trust his will. And she said, what's very important is that I spend my personal time every day with the Lord. It's kind of like she says, I know I need that to get me on track and to keep me on track for the day that I can fight against human emotions and I can let the promises of God take over. 
She said, the verse that I hang on to is, be still, be still today and know that I am God. You know, then it's like our voice started getting excited because she said, you know, it's been, I'm so at peace with this and it's enabled me to see the blessings that are around me. And you could tell she was even getting excited. Her son got a, a job that he's always wanted and, and she did, she said a couple other things and you could just, I thought, oh, Grace, you're not stuck. You're not stuck in your despair because you are so sure of your salvation, even though the nevertheless happened and, and your ship has been battered, you are not stuck. You know God is working and he's up to something. And then I called another friend of mine. They lost a child years ago. He was just a little boy and he was running across the street to catch the bus and he was hit by a car and, and killed and I know that it's been a very long, hard road. So I said, Sally, I said, how, how do you and Scott get through the day? And how do you face another one? And she said, first of all, I want to tell you that Scott and I made a commitment to each other that we were going to go to the Lord together. This was going to be something. We were not going to let this divide us. We were going to come to the Lord and seek his comfort and his will together. She says, we went to God's word. And his word helped us too. And it didn't happen in five minutes or, you know, maybe even five days or five weeks or even five months. But we learned to accept that God had a plan. God knew how long that child was going to be on this earth. She said, but can you imagine how many whys we asked? And isn't that an automatic question? Why? Why, God? And she said, well, you know what? It didn't happen overnight either, but now we know the answer. Oh, man, I couldn't wait to hear, what, do you, what is your answer to your why? Why, God, would you, why would this happen? And her answer was this, God knows. The answer to why is God knows. I was so touched by that. There is such power in that when you are sold out to your God, like Paul was in the 27th chapter of Acts, this is how you can live victorious, even when your ship has been battered. Because nothing or no one can take away your salvation. And then I called up my friend Bonnie a little over a year ago. Her son was killed in a car accident. He hadn't been married that long. They just had a new little baby boy. And I said to my friend, I said, I've watched you, and I've been there a lot of the times, but I, I want to know, how do, you, how do you get through your day, and how do you face a new one? You have been so battered. There was a little silent moment, and then I knew she was going to say this. I just knew it because I know her, and I know her faith. And out it came. She said, his name is Jesus. And she said, as I go into his word, I, 
I find that he gives me step-by-step instruction on how to face the day. Look again how important God's word is. And then she says, I don't even dare say moment by moment. Because sometimes that's how I got to go. And she said, but if it wasn't for this experience, I wouldn't have understood what it feels like to be able to have the tangible presence of God right there. I called another friend. Her name was Vaughn. She's lost two children, and she just recently lost her husband. And I said, Vaughn, how do you get through the day, and how do you face another one? And she used words that were so perfect. I mean, they're not easy words, but she used the word choice. I can have... I can, I can, I have a choice. I can either drown in my despair or I can hang on and cling to the hope that, that God promised me. She said, it's really something, as I look back, I, could, I can tell now that the Lord was gently preparing me. She said, I feel held by him. I never once thought he that he for that he had forsaken me. He I always knew he was there. But this, all of these hardships, all of these shipwrecks, have caused me to cling to him and go to his word. I'm watching him supply through family and friends. And she says, "I'm learning. It isn't about me." And then I have a nephew. His name is Derek, and he's married to Maddie. Beautiful couple. They have a darling little girl, Kinsey. And then they found out they were expecting another little girl, and we were all excited. And, and then at one of her appointments, they found out that, that this precious little girl was going to be special needs. She was going to have... Um, she was going to have a problem in her body. She, she was going to maybe not be normal. And so, you know, I mean, that's just instant shipwreck. You know, what, what's going to happen? How, how are we going to deal with this? And so I asked... I asked Derek, I said, hey, Derek, how do you get through the day and how do you face another one? This little girl, her name is Harlow, and she, has been, she is three months old and she is adorable and the Lord has been so gracious and she is just one beautiful little girl. She'll always be extra special and she sure does have the best mom and dad ever. Because when I asked Derek, I said, and then I remembered that he had, so he gave me some beautiful words, but I also went back to his CareBridge page where he wrote. And I remembered how touched I was. This was right before Harlow was born, actually five weeks before 
she was born. He wrote, five short weeks and we will be blessed to meet you face to face. As your mom and I prepare your room, this song continues to play over and over. And then he quoted this song, when I see, when all I see is the battle, you see, Lord, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. As I walk along the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high, and every fear I lay at your feet. See, he knows Derek knows, Derek and Maddie, they knew that they just have so much strength that it wouldn't be enough, and they wanted to get through this victoriously. They wanted, to, they wanted to be obedient to God's will, and they wanted to do it right. And so they knew that they would have to go to his word. They would have to let these beautiful worship songs keep, keep going through their minds, to keep reminding them so they wouldn't get overwhelmed with the reality. Maddie said, we are amazed at how God is in this every day. God has been intertwined in Harlow's life before we had even imagined her. God already knows. Derek said, life and society say this is going to be a battle for us, but God says you will be his victory. That's what, that's what Derek is writing to Harlow. You, little girl, are going to be his victory. And as we walk through some dark shadows, we have seen and felt the love of God surround us and you. We have no fear knowing that you are called a child of the high king. Derek wrote to me and he said, you know, we see how, God, how good God is every time she just gives us that big smile. Now these are, these are shipwrecks. These are causing the ship to be battered. I mean, this is life and it's hard. But did you hear what everyone who is confident in their salvation, they're confident in their relationship with Jesus, they're sure about his word, do you see they know that they are saved. And then nevertheless, even though life is hard, it cannot take away what is the most important thing, and that is the hope of what he's promised. I would love it if you would just listen to this song. Through the love 
Though the ship's been mattered